Welcome to the last edition of the brand called You, US edition. Today, the brand we are talking to is Indipal Mamik. Indipal was educated in IIT Delhi and Stanford University. He worked at AT&T Bell Labs uh, as a member of a senior member of their technical staff. He then founded, uh, he's founded several companies. He started with Savera, then he built a company called uh, Kirusa and uh, most recently Dotgo. So he was founder CEO of all these companies. Welcome to our talk uh, in the bar. Great, great to speak to you, Sandeep. I look forward to it. Well, the first question is really about Kirusa, which has been your main um, company recently. Tell us what does it do? Yeah, so maybe I'll start uh, with the vision that actually led us into Kerusa. We started Kerusa uh, almost like 20 years ago with the objective of making mobile phones easier to use. Really change the user interfaces. And at that time, you know, 3G was coming and the 3G promised a lot of great uh, data speeds. And there were a lot of advances happening in uh, speech recognition. And uh, we thought we could utilize some of these technological advances advances to put together a new user interface which combined voice and visual modalities, uh, which we call multimodal. So you could like speak into the phone, whatever you wanted, and uh, see the results on the screen of the phone. You could avoid typing, speak and see the results. So that is kind of what uh, Siri or Google Assistant today do. That was the vision of what you were creating? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we yeah. worked on some of the very initial products, I think some of the first products in that space. And they worked beautifully in the labs. I mean, people were like uh, awestruck by, by seeing what we were showing in the labs. Uh, people put in money. People built a lot of uh, early research prototypes with it. But then we, when, we, when we took it out on the street, the product didn't quite work. And the biggest issue was that all the 3G promise in the labs didn't quite hold up on the street at that time. The data speeds were just not there. And therefore, the response rates of processing speech, because we had a model that speech would be processed on the cloud, not uh, on the device. And it didn't quite work due to data speeds on, on the street. Yeah. So we got a bunch of patents on this. Um, in hindsight, as, as you kind of know, they were very early. Uh, I think the 4G technologies and the data speeds that 4G enabled and uh, the continuing advancement that happened in speech recognition as well since have led to now this technology being widely av available and useful uh, in our lives today. Yeah. We'll talk about both patents and uh, the right time to build a business. I think those are great uh, topics uh, to touch upon. Um, but uh, this journey that you did, uh, I, I know you operate in many different countries, some uh, which are off the beaten track. I want to explore a bit about that. How was your experience building a global business? How many countries did you operate in? And uh, what are some of the interesting experiences that you accumulated along the way? Actually, we had a lot of experiences, and as you 
as you say, uh, the countries we operate in, some people have not even have not even heard of them, or they can't even point them to the map. Um, uh, one of the first countries we did business in internationally was Bangladesh. And again, as Indians, that's a country very well known to us. We know it's a neighbor, it's our neighbor back in India. Uh, but I've had some people uh, in the US saying, well, you know, where is that country? Is that really in Africa? Mm -hmm. and, uh, for a country of almost 150 million people, uh, that's quite a statement of the level of knowledge uh, in the US about these countries. Um, but one of our first experiences building business in Bangladesh, you know, we, we launched a, a new product there, which we had built out, uh, called uh, Voice SMS. It was a product which uh, allowed people to send very short messages by voice, kind of like SMS, but in voice. So we called it Voice SMS. And it became a huge hit in Bangladesh. In fact, I still remember the first day the service launched, I was in San Francisco and I was just walking back from uh, dinner with a friend to my hotel and I got my phone rings and on the other line is the chief marketing officer of the of Grameen phone which is the largest uh, mobile operator there and um, joint venture with Grameen Bank of Muhammad Yunus and the guy says there is too much traffic it's the first day, there is too much traffic, we can't keep up with the traffic, calls are not going through, people are complaining. We need you to send a, a new platform, quadruple the capacity almost instantaneously, how soon can you send it? And by the way, we cannot promise you that what the price will be, we cannot place an order with you, we cannot uh, finalize any commercial with you, but take my word that we'll work out all of that with you at some point in the future. But right now, just send us the platform. Now, we had gone through almost a month just to work out the payment issues regarding Bangladesh when we sent the first equipment. There has been a lot of concerns from our investors, but we had worked all that way out. But at this point, we needed to act. And so I took the call to move quickly. Uh, I needed support from my investor because I didn't have the money to even ship a platform of that size. But uh, our investor who at that time was France Telecom Ventures really stepped up to put the money in quickly. So we were able to ship the equipment and that led to a very strong relationship that grew the business, not only in Grameen Phone, but in many other uh, uh, operators in that country as well. So the cutting edge of uh, using some of these features can happen anywhere in the world. It's not directly um, linked to any preconceived notion of what is it, quote unquote, an advanced market versus not. Exactly. In fact, uh, uh, this is what our company has shown that we've kept on innovating, building new, new products. And uh, the first adopter can come from anywhere in the world. Wherever there's a meeting of minds and there's a meeting of customer demand, um, the innovation can start. In fact, the service moved from Bangladesh to India and was a huge success in India, right? And there it was, uh, I think, immortalized by an, in a TV commercial by Karina Kapoor, Saif Ali Khan, and Shahrukh Khan. Mm. And uh, 
people in India were surprised. Well, this innovation first happened in Bangladesh. Usually, it's other way around. That things will go from India to Bangladesh. All right, but India, India adopted it in a big way um, as well as a service. Uh, talking about innovation and uh, doing cutting-edge things, one of the most remarkable things about you uh, is your uh, how prolific you are in terms of generating intellectual property. When I researched, you know, you had pages and pages of patents, maybe about fifty or more. In the world where there is a movement towards open source, Wikipedia and everything available for free on YouTube, how does one generate and protect IP and what's the value of it vis-a-vis -vis, uh, encouraging or building um, open platforms? How, how do you see that and how, what's your view on uh, this whole area of patents? Yeah, so patents have been a kind of a hallmark of American innovation for over 100 years. Um, in fact, uh, one of the most well-known and prolific American inventors uh, has been Thomas Edison, who's had more than a thousand patents. In our generation, if you look at uh, uh, some of the people who had a major impact on our lives, and uh, one of the American inventors is Dean Kamen. I don't know if you heard about him or not. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, responsible for Segway and uh, other Segway, uh, dialysis machines, uh, clean water, uh, tremendous impact on our life. And he is, has like over a thousand patents uh, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I've been uh, fortunate, I think, uh, to have an early training to be able to identify when something is patentable. Mm -hmm. Patents come to you if you're working in some sort of a new area which has not been explored before, you're coming up with a new innovation, a new way of doing things, a new business process, a new technology, but you have to be able to recognize that it is happening. And the training we got at Bell Labs uh, was instrumental in building that patent IQ to say, oh, this idea can really be patented and should be patented. So, uh, yeah, I've had, I think, uh, I mean, close to 50 or in fact over 100 patents if you count uh, globally. Um, and I am a firm believer in the value of uh, patents. Uh, there are certain countries uh, where uh, patents are, are more valuable than the others, USA being uh, the foremost by far and wide compared to any other country. And uh, the value of the patents here comes uh, from a legal system that has been designed to be able to defend them. Uh, the patents. And as one builds a business, uh, patents are key to be able to defend your business. And uh, that is the most important role the patents play. Uh, much more than as an offensive tool, it is really a defensive. Other people who come after your business, they can be prevented to do so because you have a patent. Is that a big part of the current, uh, you know, as they are called, tech giants like uh, the FANG companies, Facebook, Google, Microsoft? Are they big uh, uh, users of patent to, to build and protect their businesses? 
absolutely in fact uh, if you look at the entire look at the big fan companies except for very rare instances like the apple and samsung uh, public fight uh, over the phones most of them don't sue each other on uh, patents even though uh, each of them owns uh, hundreds of patents the other one uh, could potentially uh, be using but because it works both ways you know google may have patents that they think apple is using and apple may have patents that they think google is using uh, kinds of holds both of the parties parties back yeah so they they serve as as defensive tools in the in the most uh, from an investment perspective it is one of the factors uh, people kind of think that a business being built one can be defended against encroachers though that is very hard to do uh, we have seen it today or some one of the products we offer at kirusa is a voicemail product which has been in america and europe for decades but when we had to offer it in the emerging markets in africa we found the technology does not work so we had to build new technology but even when you build out the patents for that uh, once the patents are built and written up it's people can copy and it's very difficult to go on an offensive against other people on the patents um, yeah so well, so that's the role they play and uh, for any company that is innovative i think it's important for them to be working on the patents as well yeah the second topic we touched upon was the topic of timing uh, you mentioned that when you launched it in the real uh, world with the 3g speeds what worked beautifully in labs didn't quite work in in product and we've seen examples of that time and time again steve jobs famously tried to build products which didn't work and then uh, when relaunched the same or similar things 5 10 years ago became huge hits um i want to put this also in the context of where you are building it what you are building um i know you went to uh, stanford you you know you were the gold medalist at iit delhi then went to stanford uh, in late 80s and uh, that was a few years before the whole internet boom happened and the ecosystem of venture capital firms as well as startups uh, took over the valley uh, around that time do you sometimes wonder the the impact of timing and location on how a business progresses and what is your view of that in your own journey as you build both your companies here in new jersey and uh, both of them tended to be uh, somewhat uh, i guess ahead of their time in terms of technology they were bringing to the market yeah so uh, you know after i finished my uh, phd at stanford uh, i moved to bell labs in um, in new jersey and uh, there were two reasons for that one was bell labs was a premier research institute at that time it was like a dream job we've been dreaming of since the days at iit and the second was that my wife had um, was joining columbia business school uh, so we wanted to be together and uh, therefore there was another reason to move to the east coast mm-hmm. of course i had job offers from um, 
in the Bay Area. In fact, um, I could almost walk to my new job in the Bay Area from my my Stanford uh, apartment where I was living. Um, now, in hindsight, after I started a couple of companies and having seen the ecosystem grow, the course of these two companies, or in fact, the course of the career would have been very different at one stage in the valley. I think in the software technology area, uh, which are, uh, it is far, far easier to build a business in the valley. The whole ecosystem is there. Now, maybe this pandemic changes things as it spreads out the ecosystem. But over the last 30 years, whether we talk about the venture capital, uh, the talent, but even more importantly, the ecosystem of the companies, of how the business development happens, how partnerships happens, how go-to-market happens, that is unrivaled in the valley. And that's often overlooked. It's so much easier to meet people, form alliances that can help grow your business uh, further. I mean, I had an, um, you know, there, there, there were a couple of times along the way, at one being at, uh, in California, one of the taken very different decisions than what we did being here in, uh, in New Jersey. What is an example of something like that? Obviously, you know, this is Monday night uh, coaching. <laughs> what would be an example of uh, where you think things uh, would have been different? I mean, for... for just um, as an example, in nineteen, uh, in in, nine, in late 90s, Google was started. And in 2000, um, I had left Savera. Uh, and I was looking for the next thing to do. And my PhD advisor uh, was one of the advisors to, uh, to Google. And uh, Rajiv Motwani was another one, one of my advisors and helped me actually raise money for Kerusa. Both Jeff Alman and Rajiv Motwani helped me raise money for Kerusa. Work and up the advisors to Google. And we're all gung-ho about Google as a place to, to be at. And uh, well, I was in New Jersey and I wanted to start a new company at that stage. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that could have been a totally different journey. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, talking about new journeys, you've recently uh, started a new company, .co. Tell us about it. What does it do? So, uh, you know, you may have observed over the last few years, the con your behavior, the consumer behavior, in terms of how we use various apps and various internet services is changing. We are using chat more and more. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it is iMessage or Google Message or WhatsApp, they are taking over more and more of our online time. And this is a huge change that is happening in consumer behavior. It's been building over time. Uh, today we use it, I would say, more than email, uh, more than websites. I'm the thesis of starting .go is that I am very excited about this change taking place over chat. Um, I think it's like the third wave. In late '90s was the web web wave where everybody put our websites. Then in late late 2000 and the last decade of 2010s was the smartphone apps. And I think the next decade is going to be chat. 
business chat. Hmm. Now that consumer chat has become pervasive, I think business chat is the next big thing. And that's the space I'm excited about. And uh, I'm betting that businesses over chat will be big. A lot of infra would need to be created for that. Interesting. Again, you see something that is not there yet, which has been consistent throughout your career and you're betting on it. So wish you the best. Let's talk about some of the personal stuff here. Uh, you started your first company in 1997. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a long time ago. If you could give advice to Indipal in 1997, what would you tell? And I know you have a son who's probably approaching that uh, stage. What would you tell a young entrepreneur, um, maybe starting their first business after a good, secure job? And what would be your advice? So if I was to kind of redo my first experience into entrepreneurship, and uh, there are two things that come to mind. Number one, if you're a techie, which I was, coming into building a business, go get a CEO for your first company. Don't try to be a CEO yourself for your very first company. Um, take advantage of what somebody else has learned. Mm -hmm. The second uh, thing is, and uh, this doesn't matter if it's your first company, second company, whenever in your life, if you are building a company, do not give majority control to a single investor. Uh, always spread it out across three, at least two, but preferably three different investors who have majority control collectively mm -hmm. so that uh, you are not subject to the whims of one of the decisions of one individual mm -hmm. investor. Both seem to be springing from deep personal experience. So good advice to, to heed. Uh, now, let's talk about even earlier than 97, some of your childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, we, um, people believe that our core beliefs are formed by the age of five, or if you read some other material, maybe even earlier. What were some of your earliest memories, role models, experiences, that have shaped your core beliefs? And if you were to boil them down to one or two core beliefs, what would they be? We come from a very humble family. My mom was a school teacher. My father was in government service. Uh, it was a struggle to build a house uh, of our own. My father invested heavily and um, to, to build a house. We took loans to build house, even at that time in India. But there was always a very strong um, focus on education. I used to love to read. And um, my father and mother would every month take me to Connaught Place, to one of the bookstores there, and so I can buy one book every, every month. Mm -hmm. And mostly I would buy like uh, fiction and, uh, and read fiction and uh, as I grew up uh, later in school, would buy more of the physics and math, math books as well. But they really inculcated humility and value for money. Uh, 
I was uh, being through our, uh, kept up through our life. And as a spirit, we try to inculcate amongst our children as well, helping others, helping others in any way we can. Uh, I usually help others in, in, in their studies. <laughs> it was very easy for me to do. And uh, people usually come to me asking me for, for help. And I, I was always open with it with my neighbors at, uh, during um, schooling or uh, classmates during college or hostelmates during college as well. So that's, that's um, you know, value of education uh, or of learning, value for money. I think these are uh, very um, strong values coming from an upbringing, a middle-class upbringing, when you, when you see that, especially middle-class upbringing, where one of the parents uh, is, is uh, associated with teaching tends to gravitate. And, and we've seen that in lots of people where a, a person who grows up on in academic environment tends to gravitate towards that. But we've all chosen to be not that. We've chosen to be something quite different. Do you see that uh, impacting how uh, our kids have grown up? Or do you see that you could still communicate or somehow Communi- you know, um, communicate that feeling and that essence that you got from your upbringing to your children? You know, I think it's, it's been quite a challenge inculcating the same values in the same way to the, to the children. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've been very, uh, I and my wife have been very successful in highlighting the value of education to the to the children and to their credit, I think they have, um, all of them have taken a great education and um, some of them con- are continuing to, to educate themselves. One of them wants to go back to college, so we are delighted about that. Uh, I have tried to uh, convince them to do a PhD and uh, that has uh, not really fallen flat. That. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's maybe a sign of the times as well, and um, especially in computer science and IT. Um, but it's it's a different values growing up in uh, in America in a different uh, household. Uh, the values are are different uh, as well. So you can't have exactly the same same values growing up. There. Sure, sure, sure. Well, there is some core that remains same, and then it adapts to the way the time is. You know, you could communicate by writing letters, stone tablets, or chat on your smartphones, but communication is still communication. So the question really boils down to what is that core that we communicate? And uh, learning certainly is one, especially if you want to do anything in innovation and and shaping the way things will be. I was going to uh, tell uh, like an um, anecdote where my eldest son, um, had heard so much about me from about computer science that we decided we will not do computer science at all. We will, in fact, uh, his college goal was anything but computer science. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so glad in the last stretch, maybe in the last few months before uh, in, in high school, he came back to do computer science. And he's so happy about that he did that now okay. as well. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the next one is uh, some rapid fire questions, kind of whatever comes to your mind. I'm going to ask you quick questions 
If you have a free afternoon, what do you do? Well, uh, I mean, I would love to go hiking, um, hiking with the kids and with, the, with my wife, um, or read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Most played song on your phone? Well, that's an easy one. I love ABBA. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a whole And within that, maybe Mama Mia is a favorite song of mine. Sure. What's your favorite dish to eat? Oh, that's a, maybe a tiebreaker between Radma Chawal and Alu Puri. Okay. All right. Good both comfort <laughs> foods. Yeah. Heavy on carbs, uh, good comfort foods. Yeah. Um, what, um, what would you prefer to be at the New Year's, not right now, but when it was normal times, New Year's in Times Square or a quiet beach in Hawaii? Oh, I would love to be in New Year's on, on Times Square. Okay, in midst of the action, yeah. not in a quiet uh, place. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. I've been okay. there a couple of times, I've loved it. I see, excellent. Okay, what's a special gift that you remember somebody gave you? I think uh, probably a book, book during uh, during schooling, schooling period. I remember a, mm-hmm. uh, somebody gave me a book um, called University Physics by George Gamow. That I really loved um, in my high school. <laughs> Demonstrating your love for learning, I'd be picking your favorite gift as a physics book. All right, last question. What is brand Mamik, Indrapal Mamik, in your own words? Innovation, inventiveness, um, tenacious. Uh, maybe those are the three words I'll use to, to describe the brand. Innovative, Excellent. inventive, and tenacious. Yeah, definitely uh, uh, that you are. I've, I've known you now uh, for over uh, 20 years and, and uh, even before that by reputation. So uh, fantastic to have this conversation and all the best with uh, new ventures and uh, .co and other things you are involved in and look forward to some more conversation in the near future. Great. Wonderful, Sandeep. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.